0: Welcome to the Woodshop Life podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. I'm Sean Walker of Simple Cove, and I'm joined today by Hui Huynh of the Alabama Woodworker. Good evening, Sean. Good evening. And Guy Dunlap of Guy's Woodshop. How's it going, Guy?
1: I'm doing awesome. How about you, Sean?
0: I'm doing well. Thank
1: you. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad to hear you're doing well.
2: Hui, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm doing well, Guy. This podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and to give you some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. If you would like to support the show, we're simply asking for a small donation to cover the costs of bringing you this podcast. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash if you would like to show your support. And make sure you listen all the way to the end of the show. We're going to give a shout out to some folks who we think are notable woodworkers to follow on social media. Let's get right into it. We what do you have for us?
2: All right. So this question is from Ed from Atlanta. I've never used a spoke shave, but I want to get to uh, I want to get one for making on-site templates for built-ins. Would this type of work be appropriate for the thirty to forty dollar level uh, Stanley or Kuhn's spoke shaves? I would also like to get one for use in the shop. Is there a spoke shave that could handle both equally well, or is that a case for nicer set, like uh, and whether or not to get curved and flat bottoms for the shop? So, first off, I'm gonna be completely honest. I've never tried the $30 to $40 spoke shave, the Stanley or the Coons uh, spoke shave. And one of the reasons why I didn't was uh, because I've just heard that they require a little bit of work to get them sort of tuned up, flattening the bottoms. Polishing the backs of the of the blades of the spoke shaves, and uh, I've done that before. I just didn't really want to do it. But to answer your question, in terms of, you know, should you get one for the shop or should you get w- one separate for on site? I'll say this right now: if you get one for the shop, like a nicer one, like a Veritas or a Lee Nielsen, I believe also Wood River makes somewhere some, one that's sort of middle of the road, around sixty dollars. It's going to work whether it's in the shop or on site, and it's going to work perfectly fine. The Lee Nielsen and the Veritas, I've tried both. They're going to work straight out of the box, no problem. You might have to put a little bit of micro bevel on it. But one thing I will say is that the spoke shave is just something that's just a little bit finicky.
1: A a, a little bit finicky?
2: (laughs) They're finicky. (laughs) If you get too greedy with a cut, you're going to get a bunch of chatter. It's going to be hard to use. It's something that you just got to practice using. So because they're finicky, my thought or my philosophy has been, they're finicky. I'm going to have, you know, sort of issues trying to learn or get used to using it anyway. So I'm going to go with a Lee Nielsen or a Veritas. That's just the way, you know, my mindset was I don't want to have to bother with trying to tune the thing up. But to get back on what you wanted to use it for, which is to set up templates, I, I do use a spokeshave for templates, and but I also use a sanding block. And I'm just sort of curious, what do you guys use to sort of fair up your templates? I mean, are you guys using spoke shaves, or maybe there's
0: something a little bit easier or different that he could be using. Sean? Well, uh, I mean, I'm now I'm using a CNC machine, but uh, I was originally using a combination of spokeshave, spindle sander, and all that stuff. But I want to touch on one thing. He said that he's never used a spokeshave before, and it's one of those tools that I would not, I, I would spend $100 to buy a Lee Valley Veritas spokeshave and not have to worry about, is it the, is it the tool or is it me? Yeah. It's the same thing goes for buying. Like I start, my first spokeshave was like a $25 used old Stanley rusted spokeshave. And I fought with that for a while. I'm like, is it me? Am I sharpening it right? Is, am I, do I have the tool set up right? And I recommend just uh, spending $120 and getting a, a really nice spokeshave from from Lee Valley or, or Lee Nilsson. Uh, Guy, what kind of smoke shaves do you have in your shop?
1: I have a smoke shave, and it's a Wood River, and I bought it when I had one of the, when they had one of those, you know, fifteen or twenty percent off days, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the only reason I bought it. I use it very sparingly, and the only time I ever use it is when I'm fairing outside curves on a template. Mm-hmm. The only time I can't use it when I'm doing a template. Or a pattern is when I'm doing a, an inside curve because it's flat bottom. Right. I dig everything you guys are saying. I'm not Mr. Hand Tool, and I don't claim to be. Nor do I ever want to be. <laughs> there are certain times when a spoke shave, especially before I got the CNC, and I was making templates out of quarter-inch MDF or quarter-inch plywood, was extremely helpful to get the the the, the curves fared. And I think I've sharp. I've had it for maybe ten years. I've sharpened it once or twice. That's it, man.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good <laughs> for ten years.
1: I, I don't use a spoke shave that often, and when I do, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm hitting an MDF or or, or plywood. Yeah. Um, you know, most of the time, for you know, for inside stuff, I'm going to use a spindle sander, or I you know uh, I use one of those Mark Spagnolo type.
0: Flexible sanding pads,
1: flexible sanding strips. That works really well. Mm -hmm. I'm not a smoke shave guy. Never have been probably never will be. So I don't know how much help I'm going to be.
0: Yeah, I'm a fan of them. I mean, they they have their place, especially being able to adjust the uh, one side of the of the blade having a more aggressive cut than the other and being able to switch off like that. I think they have their place in the shop. There's just very finicky and sometimes difficult for new woodworkers to set up right.
2: And that's what I'm also wondering too, is if you're using this for site work, maybe it might be a little bit too much of a fine tool or or maybe a little bit too much of a finicky tool to bring on site to try to use. Yeah, I
1: was also wondering what what are you doing on site that requires a spoke shave?
2: Right. Like why not use on site a sanding
0: always says.
2: Yeah. If it's mostly outside curves, I mean, can't you just use to me it seems like it'd be easier to use a block plane if you're on site. You know, spoke shaves just kind of it's just a little finicky for site work, I think. Yeah. Anyway, uh, right. <laughs> some things to consider. Uh, yeah. And, and absolutely just like uh guy said for those inside curves, a flat bottom spoke is just not going to work. Depends on the size of the inside curve. True, yeah. true, true. Yeah. But for like a tighter curve, you're going to need a curved bottom spoke shave. And those are just another animal to try to get that angle of attack. Right. Those are even more finicky to use. <laughs>
1: yeah. I, I, I like in using a spoke shave almost using like using turning tools. Hmm. You have to you have to find the the bevel and kind of ride it and figure out where that is
0: mm-hmm. because if you yeah. try to
1: just use it like a hand plane mm-hmm. it, it doesn't work that way
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a special chore on the the round bottom I, that's the first like fine spokeshave that I bought from Lee Nilsson or Lee Valley rather and man I still couldn't use that thing if I had to It's so hard to, to, to use yeah you yeah. got to practice with them they're not they're not the easiest. I see a lot of people using them on uh, Instagram and YouTube just making fine shavings. And I'm like, God, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> well, you got the Veritas. So it's no, you know, it's not, you know, it's not the tool. It's just you, Sean. No, it's, it's <laughs> the, it's the user on that one. I'll definitely agree with that. Uh,
1: I, I always, I always blame the tool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, speaking of tools, God, I think you have the next one. Oh, Oh, oh that hurts. <laughs> I didn't even right. mean it to be a joke, but because uh, uh, I know the next right. question is going to be about a tool, so but I'll, I'll take that as a uh, as a joke as well. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was good. <laughs> this is from Tank. Didn't you have a question for last week? <laughs> he did. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got another question here. So I guess this question is more for Mister Dunlap. I guess that's me. In regards to your Jessam stock guides, when do you find yourself using them versus not? For example, what about pieces short enough not to catch both guides at the same time? where the first roller drops off before the second engages, or boards that are narrow to the point of a push stick being awkward. For example, three inches or less. I'm a new convert and I'm loving them on wider stocks such as plywood, just not sure when else to use them. Thanks for the podcast. It's the highlight of the week and one save for the arduous traffic of Los Angeles. Ew. That's a, That's a good question and, I, and, I, and I, every time I post a picture on Instagram of me using those Jessam stock guides, I'm always asked, well, what do you do with stock that's you know a couple inches thick? I just cre- get creative with my push stick. That's it. I use like one of those regular push sticks that came with my my saw. You know, it's like a big long handle and it's got a bird's mouth on it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like fish shaped almost. And I just kind of like pushing it in. The, the cool thing about that is it, is, is it eliminates kickback. Yep. It's impossible to have kickback when you use those things. I have stopped cuts while the saw is running to go do something and come back. And <laughs>
0: That's ballsy. <You> went- <laughs> Took a nap, came back, and it was still running.
1: No, it's like I'm going to go get, uh, I, 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 I need a sip of my coffee, or I'm going to light a smoke, <laughs> or I'm going to do something like that. But I've well, I've walked away with the, I I'm not kidding you I've walked away with the saw running with a with a piece of wood in there
2: <laughs>
1: and not worried about it. There that's a there are wonderful things. If ever if nobody if somebody listening to this is not familiar with what it is, there are these two roller guides that attach to the fence of your table saw, and it puts downward pressure. Mm-hmm. Then there's like spring loaded arms. And then the wheels are canted towards the fence. So when you push the wood in, it's like having a push stick on top and then a push stick on the side that pushes them towards the fence. And the wheels only go one way. So if you're pushing a piece of wood through, it keeps it tight to the fence, keeps it tight to your reference surface, which is a table, and eliminates kickback. It's just not possible. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, They're probably one of the best tools you can put on a table saw, bar none. I they're they are not cheap, but I highly recommend them. Uh, even if you have a saw stop, I know if you have a saw stop, means you're never going to have an accident. <laughs> but these are these will prevent all kickback. It also gives you very accurate cuts. Yes. So especially like when you're dealing with uh, sheets of plywood, as you mentioned, Tank. Oh. Do you guys have you guys have these at all or? Am I the only one?
0: No, I, of course I don't. <laughs> no, I, I have them as well, guy.
1: How, how do you deal with uh, thin stock?
2: Well, I do the same thing. Do you thing take them you
1: off, do. or do you just like maneuver your push stick around? I
2: maneuver my push stick around. Now, for shorter stock, I mean, I I just I just make it a little bit, I just bring them in closer.
1: Yeah. Well, I still have a gripper that I use. Mm-hmm. You know, but you, you have both with, with me, with my um, anchor fence, I have to take those guides
2: off. In, in order to use your gripper, right?
1: Use already as my gripper. Yeah. Right, Cause it'll hit, it'll hit
2: them.
0: The, the Ingrid fence is, is thin.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I do like where you said uh, when you said that they really help with cutting plywood sheets. So I could see how that would be handy cutting, you know, like a four by eight sheet of quarter inch ply. It's, it's easy to handle, but it it's, it's going to slide away and not stay up against that fence. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty handy. Yeah. They're great.
1: I mean, have, have you had any issues with yours, Lee?
2: No, I think what I like the most about them is that it, Yes, it is an anti-kick mechanism. It, it It's a great safety tool, but it also prevents a lot of burning. I mean, even boards that have yeah. like just a little bit of tension in them, uh, if it rubs that blade, man, you just get some burning on it. And what it does is it just really hugs the fence and there's just really no way, especially if you've got a riving knife, there's just no way for you to get burning on the, from the blade on your material. And it, it makes cleaning up those boards a lot easier.
1: Unless you stop in the middle of your cut to go grab a cup of coffee, <laughs>
2: then you're going to get some. <laughs> right. You're
1: still going to get some burn marks.
0: Oh my goodness! I could just imagine. Have, haven't, I'm like, you
1: ever, like, haven't you ever stopped your saw? Uh, let your saw run with that without.
0: Well, I haven't gone and grabbed a cup of coffee. <laughs> well, I've not left a board near the blade and left the saw running.
1: <laughs> no, but there's like been a couple times where you know I got to go do something like really quick. Like you know, change it. Put a new song on the on the stereo or something.
0: Like that. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll I'll leave the saw running, but I won't leave a board next to it. <laughs> well, with, these, with these, you can. You you
2: can. No, I, I understand what you're saying. It's just it's
0: just really funny to hear. It's 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 a fun. <laughs> that should be their their they're freaking uh, on the box as a selling point. <laughs> yeah. Change uh, your music. Guy Dunlop in the back sipping way. a cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's a good one. But uh yeah, uh, yeah okay. it's it's like it's like having four featherboards is what I like to think of. It yeah. It's like cuz you got you've got a featherboard pushing down in the front and the back and then you got a featherboard pushing in on the front and the back. So they're not cheap. Yep. But How much are they? Uh, a couple hundred bucks, I yeah. think. I think they're like oh, 230.
0: Not... It's a oh, great okay, accessory. Well. It's really worth it. It's yeah. it's really worth
1: Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I use it's them all suck. the time. So.
0: I mean, it sounds like something I would be interested in buying one of these days. Sounds pretty handy, especially for keeping it up against the fence for ripping down ply. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I think Sean, you have the next question?
0: Yeah. And this question is from a guy that we've not got a question from before. Do you got, we may not even know him, Eric from the Poplar shop. I've, he I've asked, heard of
2: him. Who is that? I've heard of him.
0: Yeah. I don't know. So he slipped me a a 20 spot. So I figured I'd get him back in the, uh, in the podcast here. Nice. So preference between Western or Japanese push versus pull. My personal preference is the uh, Japanese pull saw. I just find it a little bit easier, uh, to start the cut on the pull and it Mm -hmm. just feels more natural to me. Now I primarily use only use my pull saw for cutting joinery like dovetails, but you know, every now and then if I have to do some sort of cross cut, that's, you know, that's not like a joinery or something like that. I will use the, uh, the Western style saw because mm-hmm. I've got a pretty nice old school, um, Western style saw uh, that I really like using. But for joinery, I just, I use the, uh, the pool saw again, like the, uh, the thinner curve and I like, I personally find it easier to, to start the cut. Mm-hmm. Now I've only tried a couple of Western saws. So it could be that, you know, if I used a nicer saw like a Rob Cosman or even the Lee Nielsen um, that, you know, may convert me to, to using a push. saw. I know Rob Cosman has like progressive teeth, yeah. TPI saw mm-hmm. or something like that. And that may be, you know, the, the answer to all of my issues and it, you know, may make me start using a Western style saw again, but you know, there is one downside of using a Japanese pull saw and on a majority of them believe uh, if the teeth are hardened they can't be resharpened that's, To my knowledge that's right yeah so yeah so you're gonna have to deal with uh using it it will stay sharper yeah, longer but they're,
1: they're they're inexpensive they're and so the, cheap Replacement plates are only like 20 30 bucks mm-hmm.
0: yeah but it's wasteful though depending on how much you use your handsaw yeah. i mean if you use it all day every day you know, that's I, 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 there's just that could be one con. It, it's not necessarily a showstopper. It's just Mr. something you have to think Mr. about. Mister Negative, Mister Negative. Hey, hey, that's that's thirty dollars <laughs> that I could put toward a uh, something else. Do you have a Do you have the Veritas Western saw? I have the Veritas Western saw, and I have. Geez, I can't think of the name. It's uh, it's, a, it's a it's an real an antique um, saw that was uh, refit restored. I can't like think of the name. Destin or something Destin. like yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Hmm. And I just do, I, I like the uh, the Japanese pool. I mean, I, I would love to give the Rob Cosman saw a try. I know it's a really nice saw. Really
1: expensive. But, yeah.
0: It is. Um, what, do you, what do you guys, I know there's all kinds of other brands that I'm not even remembering right now, like Bearcat uh, does one. I know there's some other brands. Batax. Um, yeah.
2: Gosh, I mean, Lee Nielsen, Veritas, uh, yeah. it's a synthetic back saw. What's your else preference? I like both. I like both. If I'm cutting dovetails, I I tend to like the Western push saw, but I use the Japanese pull saw a lot for cutting shoulders and small cuts, uh, that don't require a a heavy back. You know, the, the pull saw is just, it cuts really, really fast and it's very, it's a it's a nice thin curve. So, you know, you don't get a lot of waste. You can really get close to that line. Um, so I like both and I think, you know, the Japanese pull saw is so inexpensive. It, it's it's an easy buy for me. And gosh, it just takes a long time to wear out those blades, man. It takes a long time, yeah. even if you can't sharpen them. Yeah. And what's also nice about the uh, Japanese pull saws is that you can use if you're first getting into dovetailing, you want to try your hand at hand cut dovetails. You can use some of those magnetic guides. Uh, you can use the Western saw, but you just don't have as much clearance with the blade. So just something to add with that. Yeah.
1: I I have both. I have a, a Veritas dovetail saw. It's and it's not to cut dovetails. <laughs> I've got a rotter jig for that. And then I've got um two Japanese style saws, one for ripping and one for cross cutting. And then I've got a really cheap one that doesn't have a back on it. I've had that for ten years maybe. And to be honest with you, I mean, I don't hand cut dovetails. I, I there are times when I just need a handsaw. If I'm using a bench hook, which I do use now and then, it's very difficult to use a Japanese pull saw. So I use the 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 Western style saw for that because it's easier to use with a bench hook.
0: Yeah, is that because your fence is in the front, so you pull and it pulls the piece back? Yeah, gotcha
1: if I've got something in the vice, I use the Japanese saws. That's pretty much it, man. I don't hand cut joinery. I don't do any of that stuff. But it's just very convenient to have those saws because there are times when I need to just make a, I just want to make a quick cut on something. It doesn't have to be to make joinery. I just got to cut a piece of wood real quick. And I'll just grab that. And I've got a bench hook sitting right under there on my bench. I can just throw that. You know, something like cutting dowels. I need to cut a couple dowels. I'll just mm-hmm. grab a dowel, grab the bench yeah. hook real quick, grab my my dovetail saw, and just and cut it. And I'm done. I don't have to power up a machine or anything. You're going to flush and cut it, it doesn't matter that it's got to be perfect. So right, right, yeah. And I, I know there's a lot of guys that oh, I only use Japanese or oh, I only use Western. Yeah, I, I, I dig that. And I think it's just something that you have to determine what, you know, just like anything else, what are you making, what gives you the most enjoyment, mm-hmm. and what do you find that is easiest to use for you? Myself, I find the Japanese pull saws easier to use.
0: For sure. Absolutely. One good thing to be said about the Japanese pull saw is you can get those on Amazon, like God was saying, 20 $30, and you're going to get a good saw that's going to last you quite a while. They're really easy to get into and and pretty cheap. Yeah. Cool. Um, That's our preferences. Hui, what is your next question?
2: This is like the hand tool episode or something like that. I don't know. This is interesting. This is from Matt. Hey, guys, I built my wife a table and I started using a hand plane to level everything out. Occasionally, the toe of the plane would dig into the workpiece. After a lot of explicit language, I'd get it fixed. Any idea what could be going on, if it matters, it's a Stanley number four and it's the newer Stanley sweetheart with the Norris adjuster. It's the link. He included the link, the Amazon link for where he got it. Um, So I'm going to just maybe name a couple like one thing, one or two things. And then, you know, Sean, maybe you can help diagnose and then maybe. Uh, Guy, you can help diagnose maybe what the problem was. Let's assume everything was right. The plane was set up properly and everything, and you're just getting that occasional tear out. Well, you know what? The grain direction on wood changes, and maybe what's happening is you just hit a spot where the grain direction is changing, especially if it's oak. I'm not exactly sure. What did he say here? What material? Oh, he didn't say what material the table is. I've planed oak with with a Stanley number 4. Before and, and gotten pretty terrible tear out because the grain direction would switch on me and it's just a really nut- Is
1: there such a thing as good tear out? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> no. Just checking.
2: <laughs> but anyway, you know, it could be that the grain direction uh, just switched on you and, and you just didn't realize it or you didn't see it and you just got some some tear out. So that that's one possibility. Sean, what do you think could be another possibility of what, what uh his problem would be? Why
0: he's getting tear out? Yeah. Sharp blade, make sure that you're, uh, uh, yeah, read the grain directions, obviously, I'm not going to touch that. Uh, Sharp blade, make sure that the chip breaker is as close to the edge of the blade as possible. Good point, yep. And I'm going to stop there and pass as a guy. I don't want to say too many more.
1: Well, I was going to say, use a belt sander.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yep, and then you don't have any tear-out. <laughs> Problem solved. Problem solved. <clears throat> Problem solved. Um, close the mouth up on the plane if you can. I don't I don't know. I didn't look at that kind of I plane. I was adjust- going to say that. that
2: this, this plane actually has an adjustable mouth on it, so I'm wondering if maybe he had the mouth a little bit too open.
0: Yeah, read the grain, check, make sure you're sharp, close the mouth, and if you're still getting tear-out, Use the uh, – I saw Chris Schwarz post about this. Mix water with a little bit of denatured alcohol, rub it on the grain, hand plane it, and mm. it'll help with tear out.
1: Yeah, just like on a, a power planer.
0: Yeah. Yep, exactly. And wax the bottom – or use a candle, wax the bottom of your hand plane to help make that go by a little, little easier on the surface. Mm. The other obvious one is just
2: make sure that the bottom of your sole is flat. I mean – I'd imagine yeah. that this was this one is probably, but I mean, I I can't assume. I've not used this style of hand plane before, so
1: it's a Stanley number four. What's different about it than any other Stanley number four?
2: It's a little. It's got a different frog. It's a got a Norris adjuster, kind of similar to maybe what the Veritas style is. So the Norris adjuster has both the blade advancement and the side to side adjustment all on the same knob. Uh, so it's a little bit different. It's not that much different though it's still essentially the same design which is an incline plane with a blade on it and you're running
0: it through uh over uh, a surface and so yeah and back your cut off you may be taking too aggressive of a cut yeah yep yep um, yeah, that
1: would be the first thing i would think is that mm-hmm. it's it's taking too aggressive a cut yep but you know I would just grab a belt sander. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there, there's your solution. Yeah. <laughs> grab a Cut belt sander, half. <laughs> Run it through a drum sander. Yep. Um, but yeah, there you go. Check all of those things out. And if it's still not working, sorry. Um, we'll try the, keep trying. try the water and the denatured alcohol thing, right? Yeah, I used that on the Bubinga just because it was so freaking hard mm. and it helped big time. I don't know what the alcohol does, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. I figured one of you two may know, didn't, but it
1: didn't Chris Schwartz explain it or he just said do this and I probably I don't think he solved. explained
0: it. Yeah. Huh. I don't think he explained it, but I mean, I could be wrong. Just give it a try and uh, Google it and see if you can figure it out and let me know.
1: You know who would know the answer to this question? Chris,
0: Chris Schwartz.
1: Yeah. Chris Schwartz, but also uh <laughs> Brian, Brian Grella from garage woodworks. He's actually a, a scientist. Oh, he's, he's, a, he, he's actually a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not and he knows he knows all the technical stuff when it comes to chemicals because that's what he deals with is chemicals okay, okay. so ask him not us because we don't know anything
2: <laughs> well i think that's well that pretty much answers this question and guy you've got the next question
1: and this is from josh <clears throat> excuse me it says hey guys love the podcast i've listened to every episode you're Better, better man than I am Josh. I'm currently <laughs> building a simple kitchen island and I'm having an issue with the top. The top will be made up of three one and a half inch thick by seven and a half inch wide by 42 and a half inch long pine boards. I have a cheaper jet joiner planer combo machine. I can't get a good seamless joint between the boards right off the machine. I think he's referring to like one of those 10 inch 10 inch tab- tabletop ones which I've heard are just horrendous. I'm attempting to fine tune the joint by hand using a number four hand plane. Here we go back to hand tools again, but just can't seem to get a, a gapless joint. In your opinion, is it possible to properly square up the edge of a you know inch and a half thick, 42 inch long board using only a number four or something like a number seven the only way to go? Any help would be appreciated. Thank you for the great content and please keep up the great work, Josh. Josh, yeah, if that joiner—I've never used, but I said I have never heard very good things about it—that joiner planer combo machine. The main reason you're having a, a you know, that board, even though it's only forty-three inches long, the 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 bed on that joiner is still not going to support the board enough before and after the cut Mm -hmm. to give you a very flat edge. It's going to follow the curve, in other words. It's just like putting a warped board in a a thickness planer. Mm -hmm. It's still going to come out. It's going to come out thinner, but it's still going to come out warped. Yeah. You have to have a smooth reference edge. So Mm -hmm. a number four hand plane can give you the same problem because the bed of the plane, is is that what it's called, the bed? Of the plane?
2: Sole bed, oh, sure. Like, yeah. soul,
1: the sole of the plane, thank you, Hui, mm-hmm. is very short. And that's why a lot of people use something like a number seven. Now, I don't have a number seven. I've got a couple number fives, and that is a pretty decent – I mean, it's mu- – you wouldn't think in a number four or number five. That's oh, only one more, but actually it's much bigger and yeah. actually gives you uh, quite a bit of, of uh, surface area on the sole to get a flat board but there are other ways to do it other than to use a hand plane to get a straight jointed edge sean do you want to come up with a another way he could do that
0: yeah he could use his table saw with a um uh, a known square board and clamp it down and cut you know a jointed edge yep. on both boards um mm-hmm. yep. that's that's one way if we what about you you could do a spring
2: joint with the number four, but man, that is a long piece to be doing a spring joint on, and it might be a little bit difficult, but you can spring joint it, and which you'll actually get a little bit of a gap in the center of the board, but when you clamp it up, you know it's squeezing on the outsides, and you've got that little gap, so you're going to go ahead and torque it in. And that's going to bring everything together. And so the spring joint might be an answer for the number four. If, uh, if- No,
1: it's, it's, it's October, October mm-hmm. 2nd. Can mm-hmm. you do a spring joint in October or do you have to wait till like April or May?
2: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Whatever, guy. What is this,
0: dad jokes day? <laughs> I didn't want to say it.
2: But you could.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I, I've got no sense of humor. What can I say?
2: <laughs> have you ever? Have you guys ever tried uh, jointing an edge using a split top router fence? Yep. Yeah, How does that work? I've never tried it. How's does that? Does does it work? I actually all right? have a
1: video of doing that on my um, YouTube channel.
2: How long was the board in that case? Short. Okay.
1: I don't know if I'd try anything. Just the, the, that's that's a good process to use for a short board. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, because the fences aren't very long, right? it's hard to get a good reference surface on it. Mm-hmm. You could use a track saw. If you don't have a track saw, you could use just, you know, uh, uh, some people call it a door board, yep. which is a homemade track for your circular saw. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a, another method that you could actually try with your jointer is taking the two boards and fold it up like a book so that both of the edges that are going to be glued together are facing down and run both of the boards like a book side by side over the jointer. In mm. um, any way that it's thrown off, it's going to be the same on both pieces.
1: Yeah. But I, I, don't, I don't know if that I don't know if that would work if the board-
0: If it were the length a, of the board? A
1: smi- yeah, a smiley face or a frowny yeah. face to the edge.
0: Well, I mean, 42 and a half inches isn't that- I mean, seven, eight feet, maybe, but forty-two. I mean, it's it's long, but it's not that much yeah. longer than the beds of that planer or joiner. I think that joiner is really short. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, really... it's short, but still, I bet the the beds are at least twenty-four inches
1: yeah. Be- between
0: both of them. Yeah. We'll have to find out. We're going to. I
1: hear somebody typing.
2: There we go. What do you got? What do you got, Sean? That thing is tiny. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Man. That's a tiny, <laughs> tiny bed, dude. Um,
0: what is the bed like on it? It says dimensions 17 inches high, 20 inches wide, 40 inches deep. Those mean nothing to me. <laughs> 40 inches 40 inches, inches, really? No, that can't be right.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, one thing
0: that I would try before giving up. I don't know if you, I'm sure you weren't planning on giving up, but
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a, another way to do it is, is is look for a number, a number five or a or, or higher hand plane. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. that's something you can't take a belt sander
2: to. So, <laughs> no. So um,
1: yeah, but a, a good way to do it is on the table saw.
0: Yeah, with with, with just, a,
1: just a straight board and some clamps.
0: Yep, it's thirty six by ten and a quarter, so thirty six total. Oh, that's
1: pretty long it's
0: not bad yeah i mean i would it i would i would attempt to keep it all in the joiner if you can and try yeah. folding them up like a book and running them both at the same time it worked it worked great for me yeah
1: yeah
0: i would do that before hand planning but i'm just lazy that's a lot of work
2: well i think those are all pretty good options uh sean i think you've got the next question
0: right yeah i do and it's uh all about two different uh, dust collectors uh hey guys i'm in the market for my first dust collector I'm set on a canister filter as my shop is in a basement. I'm torn between the Grizzly G0583Z one horsepower canister and the Grizzly G0548ZP, a two horsepower canister dust collector. I think Sean has the latter. Uh, my question is: Would the one horsepower collector be sufficient for a 620 square foot shop using a one tool at a time setup? I don't see myself ever adding ductwork to every tool due to low ceilings, and I plan on having a dedicated shop vac for tools like the miter saw, etc. I do have a 220 volt available, but it's on the opposite corner from where I want the dust collector to be, so I'm taking the hassle of extending that into consideration. The difference of the cost is about $165 on Amazon, which is cheaper than directly from Grizzly when you consider the $99 freight. Thanks for your time. Keep up the good work. So I investigated both of these models, and uh, I do indeed have the g 548 zp But the one that you're talking about, the one horsepower, it has 640 CFM, and that number goes up to 800. If you move the little elbow that's connected to the port, that gives you 160 more CFM. Uh, now, the g 548 ZP, the two horsepower model, I'm tired of saying that model number, <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> has 1700 CFM and a two horsepower motor. But going solely off the CFM uh, and looking at the requirements for woodworking tools, and I'm just guessing what you have. I am not. I don't think that you have a 15 or 20 inch planer, uh, but if you have a 12 inch planer and, and other tools like that, your uh, one horsepower model theoretically could work. Because a 12-inch planer, I think, re- uh, requires up to five or 600 CFM. 15-inch uh, and above, you're looking at more than that. Before I continue moving on, um, do you guys want to touch on anything between the one horsepower and two horsepower and that being enough CFM for one tool at a time?
1: Yeah, it's, it's one tool at a time. One horsepower is more than enough. I had a one and a half horsepower Powermatic for mm-hmm. 20 years. And I only hooked it up to one tool at a time, and it was worked fine on everything I used. Uh, when I added a Super Dust Deputy to it, which is a Cyclone, I lost – I did tests on it. Again, I did a YouTube video on this. I actually lost like 28% of the CFM putting that on there.
0: Let me ask you a question about that, Dan. Um, you you lost – Go ahead. No, go ahead. You go ahead, finish it, and then I'll ask you.
1: I was just going to say, if you're not going to put one of those on there, you're just going to use it as it sits. The one horsepower on a single tool is more than enough. Depends on how long the hose is, if it's got any bends in it, and if you're using good quality hose.
2: Um, What's the difference in price between the two? That's what I was going to say. It's only $165.
0: Yeah, dollars. well, this this will get me into the next part of my investigation. But We did you have anything to say about you know if that one horsepower six forty or eight hundred CFM would be enough for one tool at a time? It's going to be fine. But
2: again, one hundred sixty five dollars to go from a one horsepower to a two horsepower—that's a big deal. One hundred sixty five yeah.
1: dollars, a lot of money. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess so. That's but, a, but that's a bigger. That's a. I can have a horsepower. good. I can have a good night in Vegas with one hundred
2: sixty five dollars. <laughs> I'm just saying that's that's a significant increase in CFM and horsepower for 165.
0: Yeah, and you're also looking at, between the two, you're looking at a, almost double the size of the bag, so that means mm. you're not going to have to empty it as often. Uh, you're going to have, the cheaper DC has a lower static pressure, of 3.3 inches versus 10 inches. Mm. Um, oh, that's you're huge. Have, yeah, that's huge. that's huge. Yeah, you're going to have uh, a larger canister, which means... Mm you know, it's a larger canister. It's going to do, it's going to filter more of the particles and, and all that stuff. But my question about that 640 or 800, you got to remember once that bag fills up, that's going to drop significantly. Um, So although it could be 640 or 800 with a brand new clean bag and brand new filter, you start to fill the bag up that could potentially drop. So that led me to my question to Guy, even though you saw a 28% reduction in CFM, your bag never really got full, so would you think that it stayed only at a twenty-eight percent drop and didn't continue to drop? The you know the floor of the bag became.
1: No, I I, I, I tested it clean and dirty, and it was very similar.
0: Mm. Yeah, uh,
1: it didn't it didn't matter very much. The thing is, you know, the both of these are when they when it's saying canister that means it's not a bag; it's an actual.
0: Correct. Filter yeah. element. One micron.
1: One micron. So the dirtier a filter gets, the better it cleans. Yep. However, the dirtier it gets, the more back pressure
2: yep. Yep.
1: is used. It gives the system. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that will actually, it'll clean what's exhausting into your shop better. However, it will reduce the CFM because there's more back pressure. Mm-hmm. So, it like using a drum
0: sander, mm-hmm. yeah,
1: it actually behoove you to keep it clean, the the canister clean. You know, I didn't look at. I, I don't know what these two things look at look like. I'm just saying one horsepower and two horsepower. They both have one micron filters. You know, 165 is not a drop in the bucket, but it's not the cost difference between a Ford and a Lamborghini either. I mean, it's 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 a relatively small price to pay to get the extra two horsepower
0: right it's Um, like 389 for the one horsepower and 569 or something for the two horsepower hmm
2: yeah Yeah, that is uh...
0: if you can if you can you got to remember he's only got 620 square feet of a shop and this you know the one horsepower is smaller footprint so we got to keep that in mind yeah that's true too and plus he's gonna have to run power but you know, your future, proof, future proofing yourself with the two horsepower in case you get a bigger planer. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Mm-hmm. And with the, the, the larger machine, you can run more than one tool, meaning you can have, uh, it splits off from a, a six inch port to a three, four inch ports on the two horsepower. Mm-hmm. So you could theoretically have three machines connected, use blast gates, and you won't have to keep connecting, disconnecting to different machines. Yeah. So one situation where I think that would be
2: beneficial is joining planing. You will not yeah. you wouldn't have to swap out. You can, Go from one to the other. You don't have to keep swapping out the hose. But, eh, you know, it might not be that big of a deal for him either. I mean, it, yeah, of course, a one-horsepower yeah. is going to do it. But, man, two-horsepower.
1: Yeah, man. Oh, the bo- the bottom line, I think, that we're all in agreement here is that the one-horsepower canister will work fine for you. Yep. yep. But if you can swing the extra 165 bucks and want to f- future-proof yourself a little bit, go with the
2: two-horsepower.
0: Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and and just one final note, the double the bag size is big. I, I, I hate <laughs> cleaning out these bags on that. So you're gonna be doing it quite often with the smaller one. Yeah. So just keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that will hopefully help you decide. Let us know what you go with. Good luck. Good luck, Ross. Yep. And finally, we're gonna recommend some folks to follow on social media. Hui, who do you have for us? All right, I've got Russell Kieselback
2: from Kieselbach Woodworks and, uh, or uh, excuse me, Kieselbach Woodshop or Workshop. Geez, nope. I'm screwing this up. Sorry, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he does some really great work. Um, he does a lot of curved work. He does some art deco, some shaker style, some arts and crafts style. He and he posts a lot. He does a lot of cabinets as well. He he's he's just an he's on there. He's on Instagram very often. He's out of northeastern Ohio, and uh, I've gotten to know him a little bit. He's a really nice guy, and uh, you should follow him. I think you'll uh, you'll get some interesting looks at what he's doing in his shop and how he gets stuff done. So, guy, how about you?
1: For my pick this week, it's it's. Ramon Valdez Ramon Valdez Ramon Valdez uh, on Instagram Ramon Arkful he is a really talented guy and he posts I don't know I don't think he posts as often as I'd like him to but he he like saves up his posts and has like a flurry of posts all at once where he shows a a, a procedure and a series of things Mm -hmm. and most of it's Really, really good stuff. I mean, he really uh, digs in, digs into the subjects that he's he's showing mm-hmm. and they're they're not stories. they're typically videos right on his on his uh, Instagram channel. but uh, talented guy does great work and he's an old fart like me, so
0: been doing it for a long time.
1: yeah, Ramon Arkful.
0: Yeah. Sean. All right. Mine is, uh, you guys are probably already aware of him, but Daryl.Pirt. And like his Instagram bio says, he's a precision woodworker, an author, instructor, designer, and I'm sure a whole lot more. If you love green and green pieces, Daryl is your guy. He builds very, very beautiful high end green and green pieces. His his feed, and I say this every time on every episode, it's very inspirational. And uh, if you're interested in learning how to make a couple of his pieces, I know at least one of them right now. He has a a series over on the Wood Whisperer Guild showing you how to make, what is it called? The Aurora Nightstand, I believe. Yeah, I believe that's it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah,
1: He he does classes in his shop too, I think.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm -hmm. I was going to say he has classes in his shop. Very, very, very talented. Uh, Check him out. Daryl.pert. All right, I, th- I think that will do it for this show. Please remember this podcast is here to answer questions from the woodworking community. So if you have woodworking questions you would like answered, you can send them through the podcast contact page over at woodshoplifepodcast.com. Or don't forget, you can DM us through Instagram at woodshoplife. We would also like to thank everyone who left us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps us in the search rankings. And of course, we truly appreciate the support and feedback. You can reach me at simplecove.com and at simplecove on Instagram and YouTube. What about you? Where can you be found? You can find me at alabamawoodworker.com and all the links to my social media are there. Guy, where can we find you?
1: Uh, guyswoodshop.com.
0: Awesome. Thanks, fellas. And we will see everyone else in a couple of weeks. See you Later. guys.